Hello everyone, thank you for watching and welcome back to another episode of Crossing Darkness. This is uh, Season 2, Episode 2. I'm your host, uh, Joshua Golden, otherwise known as Frozen Fallout. My co-host with me today is uh, Motorori, otherwise known as Mike. Hi everybody. Uh, this episode we will continue our remake of the uh, Madison Under Siege setting that uh, we're rebuilding at this time. Um, to start off, we'll go over some of the different games um, that we will be using in our setting um, as we use four different primary games and uh, what each one looks like at its base. Um, so what we've kind of constructed with them and what the game is, you know, the base concept of the game at least. And uh, in the future episodes, we're going to be creating some um, and revising some more in-depth uh, aspects of the setting, such as like uh, characters and important locations, stuff like that. Um, and, you know, at the end of each one of our episodes, we're going to have like a little lore section. So, um, so I'm going to start you off here with um, a Vampire the Masquerade is one of our main settings that we have for... Uh, Madison Under Siege. Um, so Vampire the Masquerade is one of the more popular settings for sure in the uh, World of Darkness. Um, it's one of their mainline games. Um, primarily has to do with, of course, vampires. Um, they call themselves Kindred, actually, in um, the game. Um, vampire is kind of like a curse word kind of thing. Um, Overall, there's, you know, like 13 different clans um, that exist in the game, but there's primarily just like uh, seven of them um, that you would really play in the Camarilla. And then there's the Sabbat, and then there's the Independence. Um, I'm not going to get into everything in this podcast about Vampire the Masquerade, but what I will say is that um, the main concept of the Vampire the Masquerade is that after the Dark Ages, the vampires kind of went into a masquerade mode and stopped being open about there being supernatural creatures going on. And there's a bunch of other things that happen in the World of Darkness to also influence that, um, but uh, one of the main ones, of course, for the vampires is the Inquisition um, and the Burning Times and stuff like that. So. Um, after that, the, there was a formation of what was called the Camarilla, which is uh, seven of the 13 clans of vampires kind of got together and said, hey, let's create this thing called the Masquerade, and we're going to go into the shadows and control the world and feed off of humanity from the shadows. Um, and then you play as one of these, thir or one of these seven clans um, in modern day um, setting. So a lot of settings are in like the 90s to the year 2020, um, you know, or beyond um, if you really wanted to. Um, but a, the primary setting for it is the 90s and the uh, early 2000s. Um, and overall, um, it, it's like a smaller four person tabletop uh, D10. Uh, system. Um, we're not going to really get into the whole system and everything about it, um, but uh, I do have to say, I just want to say one thing about the D10 system. It is really simple, and I really like playing in the D10 system for the fact that like, we've been running like a lot of games recently over Twitch um, and over uh, just Discord in general, 
And with the World of Darkness, comparatively to my um, other games like uh, Pathfinder and Star, uh, Starfinder is what we're playing right now, right? Starfinder is what we're currently playing. Right. So um, basically, the, there's a lot more digging into the rules with those games. With the World of Darkness games that we're running, I basically haven't even touched a rule book, which is kind of cool. Um, so in, in any case, um, some of the uh, main aspects of the World of Darkness uh, D10 system is that it's extremely simple. You only need D10s and you have, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10 usually on how many dice that you're going to roll in the difficulty is generally around 6. Um, so um, in any case, though, it's a really simple system. Um, the, the setting is really simple because it's our world. Um, we use Madison as our setting. Um, and then to kind of go into what we kind of did in Madison Under Siege, um, we have like a little document that kind of gives us like a little bit of information as to what, and we gave out to a lot of players. I'm not going to go through it all. Um, but we kind of started off the concept that the first real appearance of vampires started in like the 1860s to the 1920s. Um, and basically it was uh, a Tremere that arrived, a Gangrel that arrived. Um, there was a Bali that we had in the um, original arrival crew of, of vampires. Um, but basically they all kind of arrived in this area and um, started workings not long after the like rise of the city of Madison. Um, and then, so that was like, you know, anarchy time, times, you know, there was no Camarilla or anything over here. Um, and in, in general, we made it so like through the 1930s to the 1980s, late 1980s, that the city became officially an anarch city. Um, and this, there was a prince, so it was a Camarilla city for a while, and then it switched over to being an Anarch city um, during the uh, between the 1930s and the 1990s, um, and then pr became like this big haven of anarchists, basically. Um, we have like a diff uh, we have a makings of a lot of the different uh, uh, population breakdowns here. Let's see, so. I mean, overall, we have way too many vampires, and that's something that we might revise on our second wave here, is that our first wave we had, I don't know, like, basically 100 vampires, or no, like, 60 vampires yeah. in, in Madison. Um, we need to tone that down to probably around 30 or something like that. Um, in a real city of this size, um, you can kind of double the size for being the World of Darkness. Population is, like, out of control in the World of Darkness comparatively, and just cities are just more jam-packed um so you you know you can probably do maybe five ten vampires you know comfortably and anything above that you're gonna have weird reasons why that needs to be um and we do have a lot of weird weird reasons but i don't know if we're we're at a size where we can support we did have even weirder reasons why we could support that high of a population count but we might be taking that out Oh, we can get into that when we talk about the Gahara pack. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to bring up uh, one of the original rules that was in one of the original vampire books was the 
the general rule for how many vampires can be in a city, and it's one, I think, per 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. And then you basically double the population of every city because it's the world of darkness. Right. Uh, so by that rule, I think we would have two. Uh, but every single book that Vampire by ever that published... By that, we would have four. Rule. Yeah. And yeah, and, and that's a rule that's that's like a... If this was the very perfect city that was run by the best, you know, prince who is keeping the population at what would be a masquerade non-breaking level, you would do uh, one per every 100,000. But I think there is something like uh, documented somewhere in one of the books, like 200 vampires plus in New York City. Um, yeah, it's, they, they never followed that rule in any of the books, so we didn't either. Yeah, uh, but and there then, is like a certain... Said, we had other reasons for more vampires to be able to exist here. Uh, right, supply of blood that allowed for people to actually... We had like a true blood kind of thing going on. Uh, yeah. But in any case, so that's kind of the... the generalized aspect of what uh what the world of darkness is for vampire the masquerade in madison under siege and then we're going to be taking a lot of that and just uh you know remaking it we're going to go more in depth into it into each one of these characters who they are what they were before and probably what we're going to be making them into or just you know at the very least uh what we're turning them into now um, so at, uh, at this point, we're gonna, I'm going to hand it on over to Motorori here. He's going to go over uh, Werewolf, which was one of his major projects. Okay, yeah. So when we started this project, I was in charge of the werewolves. Um, and so like you did, I'll go over the uh, werewolf in general. So a lot like werewolves in regular mythology, uh, except for, uh, let's see, where do I start? Uh, you're still a werewolf, you can turn into a wolf, you can turn into uh, a big-ass werewolf, which in the game is called Krinos form. Uh, you are born a werewolf, you do not get bitten. Although, one of my players at Gen Con first year made a werewolf like that, and I allowed it, which is okay. Um, it's set up as a tribal system. I actually cannot remember how many tribes there are. Is it 13? Uh, it's probably not that many. I think it's 12. Is Yeah, the White Howlers were the 13th tribe. Uh, but anyway, so you play in one of the tribes. Uh, they're generally regionally based. Uh, the, the ones that are in North America, the main one in this area would have been Wendigo. Uh, there used to be the Croatan, which was in the... Uh, kind of United States area, but there's uh, a lot of lore about why they're not around anymore. Uh, anyway, so you grew up in werewolf society, uh, and you go through your first change, you join a pack, you do werewolf stuff, uh, which is mostly fighting, and uh, going into the spirit world, that's a, a huge part of werewolf uh, lore. Uh, you're the bridge between the physical world and the umbra which is the spirit world uh, you get gifts from spirits and then you rank up in werewolf society and you fight for gaia uh, the, the, the spirit mother of earth uh, because she is dying because there's vampires and mages evil people doing really evil stuff so that's what most werewolf games revolve around uh, in madison 
they're pretty powerful here, uh, and we'll go over that when we get to the Gahara Pact stuff. Uh, they have a few locations that are strongholds of power, uh, and they exist to a very large degree in the area. I think, how many did I make? I made at least 10 werewolf characters. There's so many. Well, there was one. Uh, I'm pretty sure there was one for each tribe. There was one for each tribe. At least. And then I, I wrote up some, a lot of, okay, so the corrupted werewolves are called Black Spiral Dancers. That's uh, who my main villain was in the beginning. And I honestly can't remember his name. Oh, what was it? it? Was like four years ago. Oh yeah, that was in our like prelude to Jet. One of the, one of the bad guys I named Royd Quake. Royd Quake, I remember that but guy. He, uh, I think he died at the end of Gen Con Year One, or at least was destroyed. Um, yeah, there's there's a guy that's above him in that uh, evil organization, but. Uh, he hasn't even been revealed in the story, so... Because we never got to him. So I'll just leave that there. Um, do you have any questions about Werewolf in Madison Under Siege? Because I'm sure I'm forgetting a bunch of stuff. No, I think that that's a good general, general overview. Um... So okay. the next thing that we're going to go into is Mage. Um, and so Mage the Ascension is a um, one of the more difficult games for people to kind of get into because it doesn't have like a very well-structured concept on its... Uh, well, very well-structured set for its rules regarding its... And it's gotten a lot better. It's magic powers, basically. But it's very, very lucid with... Uh, or, loose with its, uh, and lucid <laughs> with, with its, uh, stuff that it's doing, um, with its powers. Uh, but the general concept of Mage the Ascension is that, um, reality can be bent to a person's will, and, um, that reality is sort of made up of truth and consensus. Um, and what consensus is and what truth is gets really muddled and is really, um, something that is debated upon you know with all players and all you know inside of the game and outside of the game and it's the big you know big aspect of what is reality what is truth and reality what is what is really the fuck going on here is this just a game that we're playing that's a tabletop game that humans are controlling us <laughs> you know like there could be somebody in the world of darkness who believes this because of mage of the ascension um and be pretty well be able to do crazy ass shit with the belief that there's a gm and a player base that's behind it doing stuff and if it's if it believes that strongly enough and has found enough hidden truth inside of the the workings of how reality actually works it can enact that will upon reality and the further you go from reality, the more crazy you go, the more you can become marauders, or the more corrupt you go, you can become nefandi. Um, but there's traditionally two types of, of main types of mages, and that's the um, 
tradition mages, which kind of comprise your more traditional aspect of what you would consider a mage. Um, you know, your hermetic order, which is going to be, you know, very much your mages from uh, Dungeons and Dragons. You know, they read books. They have they have formulas. They have they have their own science uh, behind how they do what they do. Um, and as much as a player can kind of play whatever the hell they want and have any kind of belief structure that they want, uh, once you start honing down who you are and how you do things, you're not just able to just be like, I can just do whatever the hell I want. You have a belief structure. So these hermetic mages believe that they have to find tomes and they have to do research and they have to, they actually need to do stuff in order to, to learn about how to do their things. But they're also able to do spontaneous magic as well. Um, Spontaneous magic is not something that's as easy for them to do, um, but it's definitely doable. And you don't need to have tools or books or anything in order to do any of this stuff. That's all just focuses for how you're doing magic. Um, there's other ones like the Verbena who use uh, blood and are your Wiccan or, or pagan magic. Um, you have your more... Um, drug-oriented cult of ecstasy group and then your virtual adepts um, who are you know into cyberspace and stuff like that but in any case so there's a bunch of these different kind of groups inside of the tradition mages that kind of make up what is traditional magic um, there's a few that are a little bit weird which is like the sons of ether specifically and the virtual adepts because they're like weird science um, ones are like super hackers and the others are like crazy inventa you know, weird stuff type kind of group. Um, and then there's the technocracy, which is the ones that are kind of winning the war, they're kind of ruling the whole world, they're the big bad guys in, in the framework of the game. Um, although you can frame them as being the good guys, and as more books came out, they became more of a uh, group that can actually be seen as, as a friendly group. Um, which is what we're kind of doing in our game of Mage uh, on Technogate. Technogate on Mondays. Uh, so we're doing, um, you know, there's there's a whole aspect to the technocracy, but the basis of them is, is that they believe in the power of science. They don't believe that they are bending reality. They don't believe that they are doing anything other than finding the truth of reality and seeing reality properly and then kicking out anything from this this uh, world that doesn't belong to this reality. That there's a bunch of other realities out there. There's, a, there's an Umbra and all these other things. But what, what humanity needs to be worried about is true reality and they need to protect re, uh, humanity from the rest of these reality deviants, basically. Um, mages comprise of reality deviants because they choose to enact their, their belief on the world and, and transmute it and change reality instead of obeying the laws of reality um, and they don't see themselves as doing changing reality or transmuting it or doing anything even with their most vulgar of magic they always have to have a foci they always always have to have some kind of technological means to to the way that they're accomplishing what they're doing um but in any case um they see themselves as the good guys and the protectors of reality. Uh, the traditions see themselves as the the people that are trying to bring wonder to the world um, and are trying to bring back 
this, uh, you know, trying to bring bring humanity away from being controlled by this crazy uh, organism, actually, or thing, entity called control <laughs> that actually is part of the technocracy, is the hierarchy of it all. Um, and they're trying to fight, you know, there's this huge reality war going on. Is humanity supposed to go down okay. the path of technology or not? But anyways. Uh, what is what is the presence of uh, mages in Madison in our setting? So in our setting, um, we have the tradition mages are the ones that run primarily the most of the stuff in Madison. Um, the technocracy in Madison is a small little group that um, hangs out underneath the, the airport and has made like a truce basically with the tradition mages. Um, and the tradition mages have one of every single one of the, the seats. There's nine different uh, tradition groups and we'll go into those later. Um, but they have one seat for all of them. It's, it's considered a major, you know, an important node inside of the our history of of mage basically that this is not considered like a super node or anything by the outside world as that's kind of hidden um but like it is a major node and a major import um and and reality in madison is is a little bit more customized um it's a little bit more loose it's, there's not as much vulgar magic um be, that can be done here just because the um we go with the Mage 20th anniversary, which kind of talks about bubble realities where in different areas of the world, depending on what the locals believe, highly influence how reality um, can be shaped, basically. Um, and so... Now, the Mages of Madison have a city that they live in that's like in the Umbra, right? Oh yeah. In the Shard the, Realm? There's uh, the Horizon Realm. Um, so yeah, the mages, uh, there's, there's the Umbra, which is basically the spirit realm or whatever, and other dimensions and realities, and then there's an area called the Horizon Realm, which is at, like, the, the edge of it, um, and there's a big war that's happening on this, like, other plane of existence, and they, a lot of different, uh, mage groups have what they call Horizon Realms that exist inside of, uh, this Horizon Realm. Um, so they kind of have, I mean, from a certain point of view, you kind of, kind of see it as like a big giant floating, uh, island above Madison. Um, and it's not as big as Madison, but it's, actually it's kind of, it's about the size of the Isthmus, basically, give or take. Um, yeah. And that's where a lot of the mages live, but also a lot of humans live there, non-enlightened people. Right, non-enlightened, uh, just, you know, they, they abide by different rules, they can do magic, you know, on the most basics of, of sense, uh, hedge magery is what they call it. Um, there's all different types of, you know, mystical creatures and other things there, there's settlements, and there's like a, a t you know, big giant mountain in the center with lightning, and it's, it's, it's a crazy, we'll, we'll bring up pictures someday to show, show off some of that stuff. That yeah, we, we'll have to do some deep dives on those, um. Do you have anything else about the mages? Uh, no, I think that's a good little brief overview of mage and mage uh, in Madison. All right, so I'm going to talk about hunter, uh, which, if you were going to choose four, uh, you know, it's definitely vampires, werewolves, mages were the big three, and uh, 
because of what we wanted to do, we needed a fourth, and we chose Hunter, and it was kind of the fourth biggest one, although Wraith, I think you could probably make an argument for. Uh, but anyway, so Hunter is the, the mythos that they added uh, in, I believe, the late 90s uh, to the World of Darkness, where essentially... Uh, in a time of crisis, a normal human is imbued with supernatural powers specifically to fight supernaturals, werewolves, vampires, uh, in some cases, mages. Uh, most of what they fight is the horror stuff. The game was set up to be a game of personal horror. You are a mortal who has seen through the veil. You have been given power to fight these things and the theme of the game is you are descending into madness as you gain more power and it's basically which is going to kill you first your insanity or the things that you are compelled to fight uh, that's not the direction that we took uh, so it was a uh, our good friend Brian that originally wrote the mythos for hunters in Madison and he put them into an academy uh, that was modeled off of Professor X's uh, school for gifted youngsters when I took over hunter in the second year I kind of revised that and I basically said no it's so much bigger than that uh, so back in the late 70s early 90s uh, this guy comes back from Vietnam having been imbued as a hunter despite the fact that hunters weren't technically around at that point in the mythos or in the world of darkness uh, we've kind of pushed it back a little bit uh, he comes back and he starts hunting supernaturals and then at some point he kills a vampire in its lair and finds piles of money and so he says, well, I think this might be a good way to do things. Find supernaturals, mostly vampires, who have piles of money sitting around. So he goes back to Madison, where he's uh, originally from, and he starts a little company called Edge Systems. And it's all about data mining and data security. And so he says to different companies, I will hold on to your files and I will guarantee that they will be safe. Not telling those people, those banks and financial institutions and law firms, that he is taking their information and figuring out, through data mining, where supernaturals are. And then he figures out whether or not it's profitable to kill them. It goes pretty slowly. Uh, until the year, is it 2000 when the Avatar Storm happens? Uh, yeah, that would be about right. Okay, so sometime around the year 2000, the Avatar Storm happens, and that's where hunters really start just showing up everywhere. So up up until now, it was just him and a handful of other uh, people imbued with this power that he's been able to find. And now they're just coming out of the woodwork. So he ramps it up, and he starts building buildings. And because he's able to essentially kill more supernaturals mostly vampires again 
he's just raking in the money. He's got to like figure out how to uh, show people that it's not like ill-gotten gains. So he starts making shell companies. And at this point in, I think, I'm not sure where we're rebooting it. I think maybe 2016 or in the 2010 to 2020 era. He's just got this huge campus. He's got hunters all over the country, all over the world. And uh, the, the Hunter Academy is gigantic. They've got bases everywhere. They're doing military operations. Uh, they're doing financial operations. And, and now they have access to so much data with uh, Facebook and Google and all these things that they've hacked into in addition to all the, the, the private data. I mean, they're, they know where everybody is. And it's just a matter of manpower now. Like, and then on top of that, they're starting to push up against some of the other organizations that are figuring out that they're doing this. Uh, and all the while, it's based on this idea that the, the universe imbued a bunch of people with supernatural powers. And instead of going insane, this guy finds them and says, hey, let me teach you and give you a purpose. And they go out and they do that stuff. Uh, do you have any questions about that? Oh yeah, that was, that was good. All right, yeah. Hunter Academy. Um, uh, so, so, so should we explain the Gahara Pact? Um, yeah, so one of our main themes, um, we'll just kind of go over this real quick. Um, oh, it's already 7.30. Maybe we can uh, save the Gahara Pact for a different time. Yeah, that sounds good, actually. Um, so, yeah. Because yeah, um, talking about the Hunter Academy actually goes right into my new lore section. Uh, so I came up with this today. So I'll just read it out, and then we can talk about it for a few minutes. Uh, in 2008, as the Hunter Academy data mining operation was coming into parity with the increased number of uh, resources, that is, hunters, there was the discovery of uh, strange data concerning a region in northern Alberta, Canada. An investigation team was sent, and they discovered a sprawling underground complex that seemed to be abandoned for many decades. It was discovered that it had started as a U.S.-Canada joint military operation during the Cold War, but was left to decay sometime in the 70s. For over two years, the Academy developed it as a secret base, before discovering that there was another inhabitant, or rather two. There exists on the base a torpored vampire and its ghoul servant. Using hunter powers and with some help from the mages of the Gahara Pact, they were able to interrogate the ghoul to find out that the vampire had been a kind of ally slash prisoner of the United States. When the Cold War slowed down and the facility was abandoned and the vampire forgotten, as all who knew about him retired and later died. All right, so... Yeah. What questions do you have for me? And then I've got a question for you. Uh, so what would you, as like a storyteller, what would you make as the, what would you think would be the clan of the vampire? Or have you thought about uh, the, the in-depthness more of, of any of this? Uh, no, so mostly what that's based on is I know that sometimes vampires say, uh, I have to go into torpor for a while. I don't know why. Uh, what What is the normal reason? 
Um, so there's a couple different reasons why a vampire goes into torpor. Um, damage is the s most simple of one, you know, you just beat the shit out of it long enough, it'll it'll go into a quote-unquote dead state, where it'll be dead for a while and then come back. Um, and, and then it needs to feed immediately or go back into torpor again, basically, for another... And it all depends on how much humanity it has as to how long it'll be in torpor or how much down its own path it is um so that goes into a bunch of mechanics but the basis of it is is damage and then um the other reason is you can go into torpor on purpose because you're trying to conserve blood because it doesn't it takes way less or zero i can't remember it takes at the very least way less blood to stay torpored um and then uh, there's some other things that can torpor you as well, like spells and magic and stuff like that. And I can't remember if there's... A, there might be another reason. No, hungry if you don't have blood. Yeah, so in this case, I mean, it could be any one of those. Uh, I think maybe if they were just imprisoned there, uh, maybe uh, he just went into torpor and left left just enough blood for that ghoul to get get by for like a few years or maybe 30 years 40 years um maybe somebody is left out there that knows it's there uh maybe somebody from the technocracy because actually i i called it um Kassetawask construct which implies that it was a technocratic base Mm -hmm. Which makes sense, uh, because the Cold War was an ideological uh, fight that the technocracy was a part of. Uh, they're they're a part of the U.S. government and the Canadian. They're part they're a part of every government. So it, it makes sense. It also makes sense that it was abandoned uh, because the Cold War ended, and the reason a lot of the bases were up in the Alaska Canada area was because Russia was easily accessible in the north. Uh, one of the other things about the, the construct that I've got in my mind is it is gigantic, right? It's part of a natural cave system that was already gigantic. And then, I mean, think about the Cold War, how much resources we put into things. I mean, they could have done it under the guise of, uh, you know, a NASA project or something else. They could have removed so much material. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's the possibility of, hey, the cave system goes deep enough that uh, there's connections to dark umbral realms. Uh, there's large enough areas inside that you could have, uh, you know, entire towns built in caves which is actually kind of what I was thinking. Um, the the vampire could have all sorts of knowledge of stuff the government was doing back then. He might have secret knowledge about uh, you know, vampire activities that happened a long time ago. Oh, that makes sense. He would be a Malkavian. Because he's insane. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good one. And that would, that would give him access to the Malkavian mind space yeah the yeah, the, yeah, the uh, milk time yeah but he's in torpor right so you can still do you know, mind stuff that. yeah he's still doing the mind stuff 
and the ghoul would probably know some stuff and so it would be a cool place for uh for hunter characters to go on a mission uh i'm thinking they mostly use the place for training like cave training um oh and it's a prison that's the other part it's a prison for supernaturals because if the U.S. is going to build a, a, an underground complex, they're <laughs> going to include a really nice prison. And they had a vampire there. They probably built some some vampire-proof cells already. And the Hunter Academy comes in and improves them even a little bit more. And now you've got a vampire prison. There you go. Vampire prison. That's interesting. Yeah. Maybe there's more than one body. They just haven't found it yet. Well, that's the other thing. Exploring the the entire complex is maybe uh, a thing you you send hunters to do at some point. It's like, hey, you've had a rough time. Go up to Canada. All you got to do is like map caves for like so they say. a week. Uh, but of course, your group is the one that hits the the wrong spot, and you know. Uh, I don't know, Nexus Crawler comes out whatever anyway, but that's new lore Castle Tawask Construct cool alright, I think we'll go ahead and wrap it up on here then um, and uh, we'll be back next uh, Sunday at 7pm uh, and uh, tomorrow we are doing a game from 7pm uh, to 10pm for Technogate so tune into that if you'd like um, and then we're going to try to keep this up every week well, um, see you all next time. Bye, everybody.